Amen. Now, you all thought that was the message. That was not the message. That, that was a message. But open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 1. We're continuing in our series on the Spirit. We've talked about the person of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, and today we're looking at the power of the Spirit. No one likes it when the power goes out. No lights, no AC, no internet. So we eagerly wait for the power company to send a truck with the necessary person to just get us up and going. I can remember this last summer, just that happening. It happened way too, uh, too frequently in my house. And uh, there, my whole family was on the front porch because it was too hot inside. The AC had been out for too long. And we're just waiting for that truck, that beautiful big truck with the guys in the helmets who can just turn everything back on and bring everything back to normal to give us the power we need. Jesus told his disciples to wait for the Spirit, that when he comes, he will give them the necessary power that they need. The Spirit still gives power and abilities to highlight Jesus and to strengthen others. Everything we need to get up and going. Last Sunday, we learned that the Spirit enables us to live in a way that reflects the character of Jesus. We learned what it means to walk by the Spirit, that this is an invitation into a lifestyle of resistance and dependence. We learned that the ultimate harvest or the fruit of the Spirit is the work of the Spirit producing the very character qualities of Jesus in his followers. And so today, as we look at the power of the Spirit, we recognize and acknowledge that the Spirit gives followers of Jesus the necessary power they need But for what? Power for what? Two things. Number one, power for witness. And number two, power for service. Let's look at power for witness. We'll begin in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So this is the the book of Acts is written by Luke, the the disciple, uh, Luke, and he, a follower of Jesus, had given uh, a gospel account already, and now he's giving an account of the early church. He presented himself alive, Jesus did, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We'll pause there. Okay, so after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to the apostles. The apostles, apostle means sent one. These were those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry and resurrection. And they were called to a special task. 
and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he gave them instructions through the Holy Spirit. He gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He taught them about the kingdom of God. Why is Jesus teaching his apostles about the kingdom of God? That was Jesus' message. The kingdom of God is at hand because the kingdom of God is the rule of God through his son, Jesus. It's the rule of Jesus transforming lives, reconciling people to God. Sounds to me like order out of chaos, light out of darkness. It sounds to me like what the Spirit has been doing since Genesis chapter 1. And now through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus' reign, God is bringing order out of chaos in the hearts of men, light out of darkness. He said, wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's he mean? Baptized with the Holy Spirit? Baptism involves entering into waters. And so, like entering into the waters of the Holy Spirit, you, in just a few days, he's saying, you will experience renewal, cleansing, equipping. Wait for it. The Old Testament prophets announced the pouring out of the Spirit in connection with the new covenant, the new promise. And this promise has everything to do with God's spirit taking up residence in a new temple and transforming hearts forever. When that happens, you will be empowered, Jesus says. When what happens? When the spirit takes up residence within you. If you look back at uh, the storyline of scripture, the presence of God was experienced in a special way. If you remember with the children of Israel, when they set up in the wilderness the tabernacle, where they would make all their sacrifices. There was special presence of God there in that holy of holy places where the Ark of the Covenant was found. And then whenever they'd wander through the desert, there was a special presence of God that went with them, but not like when they would land in a particular place and set up camp. And then when they built the temple, an actual physical temple, there was the special presence of God there. And now there's this hope building through the prophets, of this new temple where God's presence would dwell. Isaiah speaks of this, Ezekiel, Joel. But Jesus says this in John 16, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I do go, I'll send him to you. The helper, the advocate, the spirit of the living God. He's saying you cannot do this alone. But if I go, I will send you the advocate, the helper. And so here we see uh, new covenant promises being met. The Spirit of God now coming to dwell within the temple of God's people collectively. And we'll get to that. In verse 8 of of Acts chapter 1, he speaks of this power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word is dunamis. It's where we get the, the word for dynamite. It speaks of a force. An ability, a strength that will will come upon you. And not power to triumph over Rome. But power to be my witnesses, Jesus says. Power to spread the good news of God's salvation. That God's salvation has arrived in King Jesus. The strength and ability to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so through the power of the Spirit, the apostles and any disciple after would carry on the work of Jesus. Now think of that. 
through the power of the Spirit now, they, and now we, thousands of years later, get to carry on the work of Jesus, the proclamation of his rule and reign, that others might find hope and joy and rest. Now, what happens after that? That promise is given of the power of the Spirit coming upon them. The Spirit himself, when he comes, they will receive power. And what happens next? Acts chapter 2 is what happens next. Look with me in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, this day is a, a celebration of the giving of the law, the Mosaic law. There's so much we could say about this. They would celebrate Passover and Pentecost involved a lot of celebration. So many people would have filled the streets of Jerusalem at this time. It would have been like it was bursting at the seams for these these festivities. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What do we see happening here? Two things. Wind and fire. Wind and fire. They're two symbols that represent the presence of God. First, what did the disciples of Jesus hear? They were waiting for the Spirit. And what did they hear? They heard the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven. There's a lot of imagery that we could pull and see in Scripture representing uh, the, the breath or the wind of God. The prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 37, he speaks of this vision that he had of what God would do when he established his new covenant. And he saw a valley filled with dry bones, skeletons. And then the life-giving breath of God comes as a wind and makes the dead bodies and bones alive again. foreshadowing what would happen when God's people would be filled with the Spirit. What did the disciples of Jesus see? They heard a wind. What did they see? They saw what seemed like tongues of fire, little tongues of fire resting above each one. Now, when Moses received the law, you remember this? When Moses received the law, the commandments on Mount Sinai, that first covenant We're talking about new covenant by the Spirit, but when that first covenant, that first promise and agreement between God and Israel was made, Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, and the top of that mountain was consumed with fire and smoke. And when the the nation of Israel made their exodus out of Egypt, what followed them? It was this pillar of fire. And then when the temple, when they constructed the temple, it was dedicated to God, what happened? It was filled with fire from heaven. All of this representing God's holy presence. So now, this fire, it wasn't resting on one place. Instead, it was resting on a people. Now, God's spirit has come to write the law on hearts. God's spirit had come to bring God's presence in God's new temple. Jesus' body of believers. The new covenant is being fulfilled. The spirit's presence. Jesus said he would come. And that's what the early apostles and disciples who were waiting in that upper room experienced that day. And as a result, they began to speak in languages, known languages, of those who had traveled to Jerusalem for the festivities. They had taken expedited course on languages. This was a supernatural occurrence. There's so much to this. It's God's blessing to the nations, but they spoke all at once the wonders of God in languages they didn't know. 
And as a result, the people of Jerusalem, when they heard this, it was early morning, and man, they thought that these guys were drunk, out of their minds. But look what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and he addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's nine in the morning. They're not drunk. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then Peter launches into this sermon rooted in what the prophet said would happen, the promises of old that were being fulfilled right before their eyes. And then later in his sermon, what does he say in verse 36? Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. He's the anointed one. You know this Jesus that you crucified? Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, here's what you do. You repent. You turn away from your sin. You turn away from living for yourself. You turn away from any God and any idol that you've been living for. And you turn to the living and true God and you be baptized. You identify fully with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in the waters of baptism. You identify fully that his death was for you, for the cleansing of sin, for the forgiveness of sins, and that he offers you new life. To identify fully with his people, his community. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. And here's what will happen. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise of life in Christ, this promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all who are far off. That's me. We're the far off ones. We've heard the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, entered into this saving relationship with him. He provides forgiveness and restoration to what's been broken. We receive the Spirit gift of the spirit it's beautiful it's unfolding before our eyes you see this man peter who you know peter's story how cowardly he was before jesus's crucifixion and how he couldn't even in front of a a a servant girl admit that he knew jesus and now he's in the streets of jerusalem proclaiming the prophets calling all those who were participants in yelling crucify him to repent what happened? I'll tell you what happened. The Spirit of God is what happened. Look with me in chapter 4 of Acts. Here you have Peter and John. They were going to the temple and a blind or a lame beggar um, asked for money. They said, hey, we don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he walked and it became this platform to proclaim the gospel to everyone who had gathered. And then the religious council that had even uh, given a, a yes to crucifying Jesus got really annoyed that you have Peter and John preaching in the streets about Jesus whom they saw crucified and they're saying now is alive. So they call them into this, this room and they're saying, hey, stop it. Stop doing this. And what do they say to them? What do they say to this religious council? 
Look with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This Jesus, no, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. No, I don't want to start there. I want to start in verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where I want to start. Because that's important. Oh. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has, has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had also been empowered. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Have you expressed this or have you experienced this empowerment? Have you experienced a a renewed strength to speak the good news of Jesus to others? It takes courage. It takes stepping out. It takes opening our mouths. I want to encourage you. Peter would struggle with fear. He, He would at times, even after this, struggle with fear. Paul would have to request Uh, prayer for boldness. So, So listen, in the midst of all of our fear, in the midst of all of our anxieties, in the midst of all of our insecurities and fumbling around to say what we think is best, God's powerful presence is with us and will enable us to speak the truth of the gospel. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to speak the good news of Jesus to someone, and I feel like I messed up. I mean, I did it, but it felt like so inadequate, and I felt like I was stumbling all over my words. But you know, it's not about me. It's not about me getting every little point right. Do I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work not only in and through me, but in the heart of the one that I'm speaking to? That person has no idea that as I speak the truth of the good news of Jesus, that the Spirit of God uses this message to transform lives, to open up eyes and hearts, the reality of who he is. And so we move forward. We move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, power for witness. Second thing, power for service. We're going to jump now to Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Spirit brings power for witness and power for service. The Holy Spirit himself is a gift. We learn that in Acts. This gift is for you, for your children. Spirit himself is a gift, helper, advocate, comforter. And yet he comes with gifts. The Spirit of God comes with gifts. Some are seemingly ordinary, while others are more spectacular. But all are for the good of his church. All are for the strengthening and for the encouragement of others. And you can find a number of lists of gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, where we're going to read in a moment. But you also have Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Encourage you to read those, but let's let's look, let's examine first 
1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. First Corinthians 12, verse 1, you see the word gifts, spiritual gifts. In the Greek, it's a bit ambiguous. It really it could be things or people or simply spirituals. But in the context, Paul is writing to a church. He's clearing up some things that they're doing that really, it's out of line. Uh, some of their practices, especially in public worship, he talks about what the Spirit gives to them. And so we understand this contextually to be spiritual gifts, things the Spirit gives us, abilities the Spirit gives to those who follow Jesus for the strengthening of others. And so, like I said, Paul's clearing some things up. The Corinthians were highlighting some gifts over others, and their public gatherings were getting out of line, out of hand. Some were beginning to think more highly of themselves because of a particular gift, a particular spiritual gift. And he's saying, listen, guys, would you stop flaunting it? Don't flaunt. Share what you've been given in humility and love and do it for the good of others. Stop thinking you're more superior than someone else because you have a different gift than they do. Stop it. And yeah, yours might feel more spectacular. Would you stop flaunting it? And so we have chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 in Corinthians addressing this issue. And in chapter 12, we're given these general comments on the gifts. And first things first, what does he say? The Spirit enables you to confess Jesus as Lord. Oh, he's just setting the groundwork. The Spirit is the one who enables you to confess Jesus as Lord. Also, these gifts are given by God, and, 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 he, and he describes it this way in verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, uh, of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers. Trinitarian exhortation about the gifts. God's involvement in giving these gifts. And then you have chapter 13. And we love this chapter on love. It's, we've heard it in weddings. Uh, we've seen it on cards and calendars. Taken out of context, it's really beautiful still. But seen in context, we, we begin to understand why Paul put it there and why he wrote it to begin with. He's talking about the centrality of love in the midst of walking out the gifts that God gives us. 
Without love, he says, these gifts that you have, they are nothing. Go ahead and stack up all the impressive spiritual things that you think are so important. If you're not walking in love, you got nothing. Look with me in chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, all of it, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Can you think of anything more radical than giving up your body to be burned? Giving away everything? But he's using this as an illustration to say, if you don't have love as your motivating fact, if it's the very motivation behind what you're doing, it's nothing. It's worthless. And then he goes on to address the issue in chapter 14 that they were facing. Their public gatherings were being dominated by a gift uh, that was out of hand. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Now, listen, maybe you come from a, a charismatic background where the spirit is often seen as present only when and if certain manifestations occur. Maybe you've experienced an overemphasis on certain gifts. Maybe you come from a more cessationist background. The belief that actually uh, the spiritual gifts have ceased when the apostles died and that these gifts were for back then and for those who lived back then before the scriptures were actually complete. There's an underemphasis maybe in your life. Maybe you're coming here today and you're like, I didn't even know about spiritual gifts. Never read about it before in my life. And that's okay too. Regardless of your background, we want to be shaped by scripture. And my hope and prayer for us as a church is that we would just say, Lord, all that you have for me, I, I want. I want to receive it humbly. I want to walk in it courageously. And I, and I want to be motivated by love. That, that others might know the beauty of who, who you are in Christ. So, yes, empower me for witness. And that my brothers and sisters in Christ would be strengthened in their faith. And so, if you would give me abilities that would strengthen them, then that would be awesome. And I want to walk in that. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27, Paul uses an illustration of one body with many members or parts. He talks about, hey, where would the body be without the eye or the ear or the nose? You know, you never realize how important a body part is until it really hurts, right? You got like a, a, a broken toe or something. You're like, wow, that toe is really important. I didn't think it was that important. Paul is saying every part, every gift, every member is important. Part of the body of Christ. Now, some of you might know this, but I played in a band many years ago several years, and this early 90s, late 2000s, a rock band. And we had to, together as a band, be unified. We all had our own instruments, um, but when we were humble about how we played and played off each other and listened and gave each other space, man, it, it wasn't just this wall of sound. It was, it was a song we were proud of and played at a volume we really liked. It was important for us to be humble, though. No one could go rogue. 
You start going rogue in a song, and it's going to mess everything up. And that's a bit like what was happening in Corinth. Some people had gone rogue, rogue with certain gifts, highlighting these gifts as if they're the thing that's most important. And Paul's saying no. This unfortunate hierarchy formed in regards to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that can happen today, this two-tiered system of those who have certain gifts and those who don't. Even the thought that some have the Spirit and some don't. We've understood that you cannot confess Jesus as Lord without the Spirit. Every Christian, every follower of Christ has the Spirit. And so Paul writes in Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation. Everyone participates in this. Everyone is given something, an expression, a demonstration of the Spirit's work in your life. Why? For the common good. That's why. And then in verse 11 of chapter 12, he says, this is done according to the Spirit's will as he determines. You might think, man, I want to walk in a particular gift that I don't have. What's wrong with me? Am I broken? What's going on here? There's nothing wrong with you. Trust the Lord to give what he wills. The Spirit of God is the gift giver. You go to him in humility. You go to him in faith. Trust him to give you what he has for you, to use for the good of others. Our goal shouldn't be a spiritual experience. Paul says there's a more excellent way, a way of love. This is about Jesus equipping his followers to advance his kingdom in the face of every and any power that stands against it. Jesus equipping his followers to proclaim a kingdom in the midst and and, and against every power that stands against it. So do you think he's going to give us power? Power to witness and power to serve others. Yes. His very presence brings that power. Spirit. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, um, stay with me here. In 1 Corinthians 14, the gift that was being abused was the gift of tongues. It was, and Paul addresses it. Paul expects no one in the church at Corinth to understand the tongue. You say, is this different than Acts 2? I, I believe so. In Acts 2, they were speaking intelligible languages that could be understood by those around them. They, they given supernaturally. But here in Corinthians, it's very clear that Paul expects no one in the church at Corinth to understand the tongue, whether it's actually a known language or not. It's kind of a mute point. It's unintelligible. It is controlled. It's not out of control. And it's spoken privately to God. It's a prayer, praise for the building up of the one speaking. And it builds up the others if there's interpretation. So it's spoken publicly. There needs to be an interpretation. Otherwise, people will think you're out of your mind. So he's saying, come on. What's the point of speaking publicly, tongues? Save it for your private time of prayer. I'd rather you speak intelligibly. Has to be clear. Has to be in order. That's what he's saying. And that's why he's encouraging the church to earnestly desire the gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Prophesy. That I might prophesy, you might think. Yes. He doesn't mean just foretelling the future, even though that might happen at times in Scripture. He's also not only meaning sudden moments of inspiration, like, I got it. I got a word for you. No, it could actually be thought through in advance. It could be a sudden moment of inspiration, but he, he puts an emphasis on three things when it comes to prophecy. Strength, encouragement, and comfort. Strength, encouragement, and comfort. And you see this definition given 
in verse 3 of chapter 14. For the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation, comfort. Don't you want to be that person for others? I want to be that person. It could include speaking the word of God with clarity and insight, most definitely. It could also include speaking what you believe the Lord has put on your heart, humbly. It's not without error. It's not the word of God. But you're speaking, hopefully, some truth that's rooted in God's word, what you believe God's put on your heart to encourage a friend. It could also involve just God-given wisdom or insight, understanding to a situation. I've been on the receiving end of this by people who knew they were walking in this gift and by people who did not. I've been on the giving end of this, speaking what I believe God put on my heart for a person to hear in a moment when they really needed to hear it. I've given a passage of scripture to someone in a moment that it just connected for them and they broke down in tears and they needed to hear that. Encouragement, comfort, the building up. I want to be a part of that. Do you earnestly desire and faithfully pursue these gifts? Pursuit is more than a head nod. It's more than, okay, I see what you're saying. It's, Lord, will you give me all that you have? Humbly reaching out to God and saying, I'm open to all that you have. Uh, Some of this seems weird to me. Uh, Maybe I've never seen this before, but whatever gifts, whatever abilities you want to give me for the strengthening and encouragement of my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm open to it. Earnestly desire these things. The Spirit still gives power. He still brings abilities to highlight Jesus and to strengthen others. You know, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, when he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. God's Spirit is personally present with, powerfully working through, and daily working through followers of Jesus. Daily. He's at work. Power for witness, power for service, everything we need to get up and going. I'm so thankful for the Spirit's presence. Listen, I want us as a community to be more sensitive to the presence of God the Holy Spirit in our lives, encouraging each other on, strengthening strengthening each other, bringing comfort, praying for, standing with, showing mercy towards all that he has. Let's just, with open hands, receive all that he has for us and walk in the power that he supplies. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this series that we've been able to explore really you, the reality of who you are, your spirit's presence with us. God, we acknowledge that some of this is foreign to us. Some of this maybe uh, isn't something we've explored much of, but we want to walk in it faithfully. We want to receive all that you have for us. We want to walk in it. Lord, would you especially help us to be faithful in our witness, faithful in our testimony to share the good news of who you are in the face of Christ? And would you help us especially um, to eagerly desire prophecy that we would encourage and strengthen and comfort one another. In Jesus' name.